Let us pray. Father, what a glorious name to celebrate the name of Jesus. Father, we, we thank you for this time to, to reflect, to just to listen to you, Lord, to hear from you. We thank you for the reminder that the battles that we face are not to be accomplished or to be won in our own strength, but the battle belongs to you. We ask, Father, that as we now open up your word, that you would lead us into a time of reflection, a time of openness, a time of confession, a time of repentance, and ultimately a time of obedience, Lord. Thank you, Father. Amen. Our reading today is from 1 Kings 19, verse 4 to 18. 1 Kings 19, verse 4 to 18. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. The readings will be on the screen. I hope it's not too small, um, but we will soldier on ahead. He, Elijah, he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. It's a pity he didn't sweep up while he was there, but anyway. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake, baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he, God said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in an earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when he heard it, he wrapped his face in a cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. The Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Azil to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Mehullah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. 
And the one who escapes from the sword of Ezekiel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel. All the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. So we were talking in the prayer time. We try and pray before the service. I think it's kind of important before we preach that we pray. Um, so it's a good exercise to do. But as we were talking, we were just sort of chin wagging, which means conversation, nothing dodgy. And as we were talking, we were kind of going, man, 2023 has just been a rough year. It's been a, it's been a year. I don't know if it's the same for you, but it's been a year. And I'm pretty sure some of us are going, man, I'm hoping that uh, this year is going to be uh, 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 over and somehow next year is just going to be better. Reality is we've got this wonderful Christmas period, um, this holiday time. Some people get some time off, other people don't. But it's generally this time where we think we can take a break, we can put our feet up, we can eat some ginger biscuits, we can drink some milk that um, the kids leave for Santa. Um, and uh, yeah, poor Santa's on a, on a diet. Um, and, and we think that we're going to recover. We're hoping that we're going to recover between 23, 23 and 2024. We're hoping that somehow this time can be used to get some energy back. Now, I would like to share a story, right? I went, uh, I've, I've been working in, I've worked in four different churches. Um, and so far, uh, this is the one that hasn't kicked me out yet. Um, and the, the third church I worked at, right? I went down, it was a Somerset West United Church uh, in Somerset West. And we got down there and the youth was very, very small. And so I'm trying to, to figure out how can we grow the youth ministry, um, so I told a lot of people to have babies. Um, they didn't want to do that. So then we said, okay, how are we going to grow these? And one of the ideas we had is let's try and spend some time together doing various things. And um, if you've ever been to Somerset West, it's a beautiful place. It's five minutes away from, or ten minutes away from everything. And, and one of the ten-minute destinations was this um, Helderberg Nature Reserve. And so one of the, the guys was saying, yeah, you know, it's good to go for hikes. And I said, okay, well... Let's test this out. Let's go for a hike. So he says, let's go to Helderberg Nature Reserve. We go for a hike. Then I thought, this is a fantastic idea. And he says, we'll go for a short hike, three Ks. Now, believe it or not, the physique that you see before you is the physique I had then, right? The exercise I'm not doing now is the exercise I wasn't doing then. So we go, okay, let's go to this nature reserve. We walk to this nature reserve. And the guy says, we'll walk up there. It's about three Ks. And I'm going, oh, okay walk up there. And it was like, it felt like a vertical, you know, it just, it felt vertical. But we're walking, we're walking, we're walking. And, and the strangest thing happened. Um, I was unfit, which is not strange, but the strangest thing happened, and maybe it's not strange, but the, the longer I walked, now remember, we, we're in Somerset West. It's a beautiful place. And as you walk up the mountain, you can look down and you can see the Helderberg or uh, the sort of area, you can see the, the Colt Bay, you can, it's just majestic. The longer I walked, the only thing that mattered was where am I going to get my next breath from? It didn't make a difference what was before me. 
I'm going, man, we've only done 200 meters and we've got another uh, 2.8 kilometers to go. I was dying. I was dying. And the longer I walked, the longer I struggled, I couldn't care less who was walking next to me. My whole perception of life narrowed down to myself. To the very next breath, the very next step. And when I got up there, the guy that was with me was way fit, and he's like looking in, he's like, I mean, this is amazing. And I'm just lying on a, 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 a branch, trying not to look as dead as I felt, because, you know, I'm a man, I got, I got pride. <laughs> Couldn't care less about anything around me. Why? Because I was so drained, I was so tired, I was so overwhelmed. I was so de-energized that all I could think about is, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this. Everything around me narrowed down to just me. To just myself. To just the next step, the next breath. When we got down to the car, I'm like, okay, that was great, get in the car, we're never doing that again. But it's interesting, isn't it? That we, we go through life, and I, I don't even think we at times are aware of just how tired we get, how overwhelmed we get, how drained we get, how depressed we are. And everything just narrows down. Everything just diminishes until we're like this. And I'd like us to look at the story of Elijah for this reason. But before we jump into our text, there are just some important points to establish from a context perspective. Right at the end, you will recall, if you, if you recall, that there was this phrase that they did not kiss the feet of Baal. Now, Baal, the term Baal in the Old Testament is used in several different ways. One of the ways that it's used for is even for the God of Israel. But the most common use of the word Baal is actually for the Canaanite god of storm and rain. And he was the prime god, the prime Canaanite god. So Baal was the prime Canaanite god of storm and rain. And worship of Baal was prominent in the time of judges. It died down, it faded away in the, the, um, from Samuel, who, who was a prophet, um, from Samuel's time through Saul's kingship to David's kingship, it diminished Solomon, in his reign, first, early on in his reign, he was very devout. Unfortunately, he decided that having many, 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 many women, he had 300 wives and 700 concubines, he thought this was a great idea. Um, I question his wisdom, right? I question his wisdom. But later in his reign, to accommodate his wives, he set up an altar for, for Chemosh, which allowed the introduction of the worship of other gods. When the kingdom of Israel split, Worship of Baal was allowed to find a foothold, particularly in the reign of a guy called King Ahab. And this was the kingship that Elijah, as a prophet, was challenging. Ahab's wife, Jezebel, supported the prophets of Baal from her own table. She sustained them. She fed them. They were her prophets. 
So Baal worship was increasing. And the introduction of Elijah, Elijah steps onto the scene in 1 Kings 17, verse 1 to 7, and his ministry begins with a prophecy of what? Drought. He comes and he says, folks, there's going to be no rain. Now, given that Baal was the god of rain and storms, this is a direct challenge against Baalite worship. Elijah is introduced by saying, man, this God is false. The Lord of all creation, the God of Israel, is going to stop the rain. Let's see what Baal can do. And this challenge extended for several years in which Baal is proven to be powerless against the God of Israel, which essentially means what? He's dead. To the ancient Near Eastern culture, that means that Baal was dead. This challenge culminates in Elijah laying down a challenge to Ahab, saying, bring your prophets of Baal. Come to Mount Carmel, 1 Kings 18. Come. Let's have a test. Let's see who's great. And I want to encourage you to read it. The absence and ineffectiveness of Baal is declared, it is displayed, it is made clear to all people. And Elijah then goes on to kill the 450 prophets of Baal. And after this victory, what does God do? He sends rain. Just, just flexing, just showing, saying, man, I'm God. Jezebel hears about this and she makes this threat. She's one of the prime instigators of Baalite worship. She, she promises to Elijah, if you are not dead in 24 hours, there's going to be problems. I'm going to kill you in the next 24 hours. This threat causes Elijah to become afraid, which leads us to the account that we are looking at. And the first thing we see is that Elijah runs away. Elijah runs away. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take my way my life, for I am no better than my father's. The result of Elijah's fear was to enter into a state of depression or despair or downcastness. And he decided to run away. Now, before I go on, I want to acknowledge that depression is a very, very common experience. And there are many reasons for depression. I'm not speaking in depression holistically. What I am speaking about is that the, the emotional state of depression and despair that pervades our culture. So there are people who deal with depression from a medical or from a, a physiological or from a, 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 a chemical perspective. I'm not talking about that. Please hear me very clearly. However, many of us are walking around glum and depressed and downcast and we don't even be aware of it as much as we should. Now, we are not told if his longing is serious. Did he really want to die? Or was he just doing what I sometimes do and go, oh, I've had enough. Man, I'm just tired. I mean, I've never gone and said, Lord, take me now. Because I'm going, well, maybe a coffee will cheer me up. But still, he is saying, man, I'm just, I've had enough. Now, what is interesting to note in this is that if you look at the record of Elijah thus far, this is the first time he moved from one location to another 
without God telling him. He runs away from his own decision. A prophet who is sent by God decides, I'm going to run away. Now, let's take a pause. We've just looked at, we've just spoken about 1 Kings 18. Can we think of a greater success than standing on Mount Carmel and saying, guys, go and wake up your God. He is he's relieving himself in the toilet. Where is your God? Then saying, come to my altar, fill it with water, put water over there. Let's just, let's just make it so that it is impossible. And I'm not going to cut myself. I'm not going to do a funky dance. I'm not going to run around, get myself into frenzy. I'm simply going to say, Father, do your will. And then he kills 450 prophets. Folks, can there ever be any greater earthly success or human success than that in this time period. No, he's come from the most incredible event where God has been vindicated. It's been a three-year journey. He says, Lord, it's not going to rain. The Lord says, it's not going to rain. It doesn't rain for three years. He says, come to Mount Carmel. I'm going to show you. He destroys everyone. He says, the Lord's not going to make it rain. It rains. This is a victory. And Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you and he runs away. Now an observation is that how often is our prime response as people to run away from our issues and challenges? How often do you run away from the things that you need to be dealing with? There are certain areas in my life where I'm prepared to tackle head on. If I don't have coffee, I do not run away from that. I tackle it. I go and buy. The moment there's other stuff, Oh, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to deal with that. I, I don't know if I want to tackle that. I, I, I tend to wait it out. So my question is, what about you? What are you running from? What are the areas in your life that you need to be st- stopping and saying, Lord, I need to actually deal with this? But rather the response is, I need to hightail it out of here. So Elijah runs. He shouldn't have run. He was overwhelmed. We don't fully understand why, and I don't think we need to tease it out too much beyond that he ran. After the most incredible success, he runs. We then see that God sustains Elijah and calls him to come before him. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again to him a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. He arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. The Lord in his grace allows Elijah a chance to rest and provides him with sustenance. And I want to say, folks, this is the biblical warrant. Whenever you're depressed, eat cake. Okay? If you take nothing from the sermon except that the Lord fed him cake and he ate it while it was hot so while that 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 chocolate uh, uh, icing is kind of percolating in there you just shove it in your mouth because the Lord told Elijah to eat folks there's very something something very very useful in God allowing Elijah this time to eat rest and refresh 
And we must never underestimate the value of good rest and nutrition, particularly when you're downcast, particularly when you're overwhelmed. There are countless, and I'm not going to explain more about this, but there are countless articles and video clips that speak about its benefit that I would encourage you to look at. I myself struggle to, to make sleep a priority. But when I don't sleep, boy, am I grumpy. When I do sleep, well, my kids still say I'm grumpy, but I mean, that's just them. But we must note that this journey was too great unless Elijah had rested and fed himself. The Lord then calls Elijah to appear before him. Come, come, come. You feeling like this? Come. And this calling points us back to the journey of the Israelites in the Exodus. The 40 days and 40 nights relates to the 40 years in the Exodus. Mount Horeb is actually Mount Sinai, where God did two things. He manifested himself. He appeared before the people of Israel. He appeared before Moses in such an incredible way. That's the first thing. The second thing is he established covenant with them. So God says to Elijah, you're feeling downcast. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to sustain you. Now come. Come to the place where it began as a nation. Come. And what happens there is that God questions and Elijah complains. Now first of all, we must note that God asks the same question of Elijah twice. There he came into a cave and lodged, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, whenever God asks a question, it's pretty important to consider, right? But if he asks it again, and when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in a cloak, and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave, and behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Generally, when God asks a question, it's not because God needs an answer. God is omniscient, meaning he knows everything. He knows you better than you know yourself. When God was calling to Adam saying, Adam, where are you? God knew where Adam was. God was not going, well, are we playing hide and go seek? Uh, or playing Marco Polo, Adam? You know, no, God knew exactly where Adam was. God knew exactly why Elijah was there. The problem is, that Adam needed to acknowledge where he was. And the problem is that Elijah needed to understand why he was there. And we must understand that when God asked the same question twice, we need to think about our answer. Do you think Elijah did that? No. He gives the same answer word for word. He says here, and just notice how it doesn't change except for the 10 and the 14 there. You see that? Doesn't change. So God asks him the first question and he says, yeah, he says, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. And you can almost hear the wind in his voice. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets and the sword. And I, even I only, me alone, Lord, I'm left. And they seek my life to take it away. Okay, okay, all right, Elijah. I'm going to do some stuff. I'm going to make things happen. And then I'm going to ask you again. We said, I've been very jealous for the Lord. The same thing. I've been very jealous for the Lord of the God of hosts. 
For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. Now, if God ever asks you a question, think really long and hard before you answer. If God ever asks you the same question twice, understand you got the first answer wrong. Okay? You got it wrong. The first time God asked Elijah this question, we could look at his answer and possibly understand that he was taking strain. It's understandable, folks. We don't know why he, he, he took this, this threat of Jezebel and internalized it. We don't know why, but we can understand that because we all are guilty of doing that. So I can understand and I can appreciate them giving the first answer. I can have sympathy and say, sure, dude, I don't quite understand. I don't need to understand. Because I know I've had moments in myself. But when God asks the second time, God is saying, I really need you to consider your answer, Elijah. What does Elijah do? He doubles down and sticks to his guns. He is justified in running away from God's commission and in feeling depressed and downcast. So let's quickly evaluate Elijah's answer. First, we must note that Elijah was called to the place where the Mosaic covenant, the covenant with the people of Israel, was made. And in that covenant, basically it's, I'm going to be your God, you're going to be my people. When I speak, you obey When I speak, you obey. What was Elijah doing? He was disobeying. Why? He ran away from God. Pretty much like Jonah did. So he's called to the place where God made the covenant and he starts complaining and saying, look at those people. They have forsaken your covenant. The second thing is he claims that they have torn down the altars of God. He repaired them. He repaired an altar in 1 Kings 18 verse 30 in their presence and they did not destroy that. So we could maybe ask, well, Elijah, are you serious? I mean, okay, maybe they did destroy the rest of the altars. Third, he claimed that he was the only one left and this was incorrect. In 1 Kings 18 verse 13, Obadiah has explained that he's hidden away a hundred prophets of the Lord. And this happened Fairly close proximity to 1 Kings 19. So there's a hundred prophets of the Lord. Does that mean Elijah's alone? No. 1 Kings 18.39. The people see Elijah's victory and confess that the Lord is their God. And they said when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Was he alone? Now the fourth and the greatest indictment against Elijah is that God appeared or manifested himself to Elijah. And he said, God said, go out, stand out in the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord had passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. And the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after an earthquake, a fire, the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in a cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. 
Now, this is known as a theophany. A theophany. A theophany is God appearing. Okay, theo and phony. God appearing. Now, to understand just how incredible this is, whenever God appears in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there is generally fear and trembling. People are overwhelmed. People are blown away. It's sort of like when your, um, your bride walks down the, the I was going to say walks down the altar, walks down the aisle, right? And as you look at this woman, you go, man, she's just beautiful. You're blown away. You're not going to think, well, oh, those shoes, I, I'm not sure I like those shoes. And you really have to do your hair that way? I mean, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, I've got to keep her. How much more when we see God? Check Exodus 3, verse 6. This is when Moses is called to the burning bush. And he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Ezekiel 1, 26 to 28. And above the expanse of their heads, there was the likeness of a throne in appearance like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of a throne was the likeness of a human appearance. And upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as it were gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as it was an appearance of fire. And there was brightness around him, like the appearance of a bow that is in the cloud of the day of rain. So that so was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard the voice of one speaking. I fell on my face. Job. Job has this big rant and he says like, you know, I'm innocent, I'm innocent, I'm innocent. And, and Job is the one book I will never preach on because I don't understand it, right? It is the one book. But Job, what I do know is that Job's been arguing with his chummies and they're going, yeah, but this, and he's like, no, but this. And God in Job uh, 38, 39 says, okay, come, 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 come. Let me ask you questions. And Job goes at the end, and the Lord said to Job, shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, okay, 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 whoa, whoa. Behold, I'm of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. Like, let, me just, let me just stop. All right? I've spoken once and I will not answer twice. But I will proceed no further. We note this trend of people being overwhelmed by the presence of God. While Elijah did cover his face, in spite of all he just witnessed, he was so stuck in his state of despair that he was not prepared to change his answer. In contrast that with Job. Job, God says, let me ask you these questions. And God starts asking, and Job goes, okay, whoa, whoa, let me just, let me just stop. And God says, no, 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 no. You don't get away so easily. Let me ask you. Job at least had the decency just to acknowledge the foolishness of his desire. Elijah, despite not being the only one, despite the incredible victory, despite God appearing. He sat there saying, me and only me. And we left with this portrait of Elijah. And it's less than satisfactory. 
Disregarding all that God had accomplished to him, he took the internal reaction of Jezebel's threat and became so self-centered that he filtered all of his experience through that self-centeredness. He took how he felt because of Jezebel's threat and he said, this is now my reality. This is truth. Even when confronted with the intense manifestation of God's presence, he held on to that emotional state. Despite the God of all creation manifesting, he held on. And this sets us before us a picture of the same selfishness that affects us today, doesn't it? I have to ask, how much of our experiences, and I'm speaking generally in a, in a fairly confined sense in terms of emotional depression and despair and downcastness that we as a society face, how much of this is caused by a tendency towards selfishness? There are several reasons why people deal with depression. But we have to acknowledge that in a significant proportion, it is due to our own self-absorbed and distorted sense of truth, of life. We internalize all that's going on and then use it as a filter to decide what is true or not. I'm the only one left, God. No one else. Uh, didn't, didn't Obadiah just tell you that he's, that, he, that, that him and a hundred other people died? Didn't, didn't all the people in the Mount of Carmel confess that the Lord is God? But you're the only one left. They are guilty of breaking covenant and you are guilty of running away. You're the only one jealous for the Lord? The God of hosts, the God of angelic armies, the one who actually made the fire happen. You're the only one. We build up this castle around our internalized hurt. And it, 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 folks, at this point I have to acknowledge it can be hurt, it can be anger, it can be unforgiveness, it can be a whole host of things. And it allows us to justify certain actions, like Elijah running away from his commission of call. And the challenge for us in this, this time of, for some of us, having some freedom is to look at the full story of Elijah and go, okay, what do we need to do about this? God in his grace did not allow Elijah to wallow and entrench himself in his selfishness. God graciously provided saying, here's food, here's rest, and then said, come, come to me. We've got to sort this out. We've got to deal with this. We've got to see that as much as rest and nourishment are important, it is not enough. You can have all the rest you want this holiday. You can have all the good food or enjoyable food, whatever is your fancy. You can sleep until 9 o'clock in the morning. I envy that, by the way. I really do. You can do all of that. But if you are grappling with a negative emotion that's in your heart and it's become your reality, all of that rest, all of that sustenance means not that much. And what I found fascinating is that 
Elijah did not immediately respond to the first great event. And this is, this is important for us. Like, there's this wind. I mean, this is incredible, right? Rocks are falling. I mean, I'd be on my knees going, okay, Lord, okay, Lord. No, he doesn't. An earthquake comes. A fire comes. Generally the sign of a theophany, the appearance of God. Elijah waited, waited. And this is the one thing he did do right, which we need to be doing. He waited until he knew that God was there. This is so important for our prayer time, particularly when we are downcast. Do not assume that you are communing with God until you know that God is present. Like, do not say, Lord, I'm sad, I'm sad, until you know that the God of all creation, your Father, is there. Until your awareness of Him is there. I found uh, one of the pastors that used to work here, Ian Frazier, I, I, I took over his office, and in his office I found this 12-step prayer thing, right? Um, and there's 12 steps, and, one, and, and, and several times in this prayer thing, the, the, the step is to wait. The step is to listen. What do you think that means? That means you've got to stop. You've got to wait. And for a person like me with ADHD, that's very, very hard. But when I stop and I go, okay, 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 okay. Lord. Lord. And then God says, now ready to listen and I go no not really but let's give it a try the sad consequence of sin is that even when we encounter God there still needs to be a struggling a wrestling with our inner sin self it's not as if when we walk into the presence of God everything's going to be hunky-dory why because we are selfish at our core And this has been the great struggle that is waged internally ever since Eve. Listen to that serpent. And that is your struggle and that is my struggle. We have to let God expose and then deal with this internal disposition of self-centeredness and selfishness. And it never goes away, the side of glory. So I want to say this very clearly for those of you who have some time off. This is a gift from God not to be putting your feet up and binge watching Netflix. There's nothing wrong with that. In its right time and its right place. If we have more time, we should use it to spend time coming before God. Don't pursue the things that give you a sense of relaxation, but actually create distance and space between you and God. We then have God's instruction to Elijah. Elijah was was was, was told to go back to his commission. We are to go back to the place and activity that God has called us to. If there are things that you are running away from, You do not get peace by running away. You get peace by dealing with it in God. And hear me, I'm the biggest hypocrite in this area. So God is speaking to you, not me, basically. 
The first answer to depression and despair caused by selfishness is to focus on obedience despite how we feel. I also want to state that there are some folks, and I include myself in this, that we are sometimes downcast, we are overwhelmed, we are tired, we are depressed because we are pursuing our own agenda, not God's. When you take a a man or a woman who, in a place of work, is pursuing promotion, for example, at the expense of their family and the expense of their relationship with God, of course there's going to be a state of drain or downcast because they are not pursuing what God wants them to pursue. So Elijah was to go back to being obedient. Go back to Damascus. You'll see it over there. Go back. Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. Then he was to appoint people to execute God's will. Elijah was foolish enough to think that God was using him alone in this battle. So God appoints other people in the same way that Elijah was called and appointed, including a successor, Elisha. What we need to understand is that there's a value in us remembering that we are not the vital cog in God's plan. We are not. I mean, I'm pretty important, but that's what my mommy keeps telling me. She phoned me this morning and said, Andrew, you're important. Actually, no, she didn't. I got it on a, a, a voice note that I keep repeating to myself. <laughs> you are not the most important person God is. And God works in community, which is why church plays such a pivotal role in our relationship with God. God works in community. And so when we are taking strain, when we are dealing with depression or despair or being downcast or anger or uh, unforgiveness or negativity or cynicism, well, I'm cynical, so that's not a bad thing. If we're dealing with all of these things, deal with it in the context of community. Remember that this is not about you. God's plan is bigger than you. It includes you. God cares about you. God wants you. But he wants you for his glory. So not only was Elijah to go back to where he was meant to start, first he had to encounter God. This is the first thing. You first need to encounter God. You need to go back to being obedient. You need to be in the context of community, and then you need to wake up and look and go, God is working. Even if I don't see it. Sometimes I need to stop and think and go, okay, cool. What are you doing, God? Let me, let me have a bit of a reality check. The statement that there were 7,000 people is not to be taken literally, meaning there were exactly 7,000, not 699, 6,999. Oh, I was counting like Zuma there. Um, it's 7,000 is, seven was the number of perfection. So it means it's meant to convey that there are The perfect amount of people, like God has people there. And Elijah, you may think that you're the only one. That's because you are right now being silly. You need to look beyond yourself. You need to see that God is working. God does not need you. You need God. God's not going to determine his success based on you. God is going to ensure that God wins. 
And so God is working. Elijah thought he was alone, but God pointed to the fact that he was active beyond Elijah's understanding. And it's almost as if God is going to say to Elijah, do you think that my whole plan revolves just around you? No, buddy. And what you need to do is you need to stop and look beyond what you are seeing or feeling and go, Lord, open my eyes. How often when we sit back and we look and we go, God, what did you actually do for me this year? And you just begin naming and you begin seeing and you're going, okay, actually, actually, oh, God, you've been good. You've been great. I'm so, I'm so narrowed, I'm so tunnel visioned in my perspective. I'm so blinded to all that you are doing. So, so guys, stop. Look beyond yourself. See how God has been working. Not only for you, but for other people. But also for you. We need to defeat the self-centeredness by looking for God's activity beyond us. Knowing that God's activity is always for His own glory and not our own glory. And that God is active. We live in a world of many challenges. We have many ups and downs. It's difficult. You have your story. I have mine. You have the issues that you're grappling with, and I have mine. We know, if you sit around a coffee table and you talk within five minutes, if we're being particularly happy, one minute, if we're not, it'll take that long for us to start talking about the negative things that are going on. Load share, food costs, stress. Our boy is not winning the cricket. There's a whole host of things. And some of them affect you more than they affect me, and some of them affect me more than they affect you. The truth is that humanity is inclined to warp all that is happening around me, to internalize it in a way that shifts the focus onto me. And we, as I've said, we can expand this principle beyond despair and depression and downcastness. And include anger and unforgiveness. And there are a few others that we could probably mention, but my brain's just not switching on. And this tendency creates a navel gazing in us that causes us to spiral down and down and down and down. And this can even blind us to the activity and the reality of God. The only way to effectively deal with this is to engage directly. We do not see Elijah confessing his sinfulness, but we do see him restored to his calling and obedience. We do see him restored. We know that God is able to cut through all of the blinds we put. God is able to cut through all of us and and is able to get into each and every single one of us and expose our own sinful tendencies. God dealt with Elijah in such a patient, caring way, sustaining him, confronting him, with gentleness and care. God will deal with you and me as tenderly and as firmly as he needs to. In order to bring us back into conformity with him. 
And when we are in a place of conformity, we are in a place of peace, genuine peace, of purpose, of meaning, of happiness, of joy, of wholeness. I can't think of any others. But you get where I'm going with this. Now as God dealt with Elijah, bringing him back, God wants to deal with you. Please use this time. And not just this time. It's not about time, actually. If you don't have the time, it's a total lie. You make the time. You give up whatever you need to give up to get right with God. You find the time. And you look to God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that the story of Elijah is just a reminder of how great you are despite our own selfishness. It is a reminder of how caring you are despite our own desire to to make it, to make life, to make all that we're dealing with about ourselves. You are a God that is gracious to us beyond what we deserve. We thank you, Father. We thank you for your for your faithfulness. We thank you for your tenderness. We thank you for your wisdom in dealing with us. And I ask, Father, that your spirit would cause us to seek you. Would cause us to find the time, make the time, steal the time to be before you. Thank you, Father. Amen.